0: Well, uh, something happened in 2012, something big, earth-shattering. I don't know if you remember what it was. Uh, I'm not talking about the end of the world according to the Aztecs, which you may remember. didn't quite happen. It happened on the 4th of July, 2012. Do you know what it was? Anyone know? It was not Independence Day, though you might think it was. They said the world would never be the same again, actually. No one knows? Nobody is a physicist nerd amongst you. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. The so-called God particle was discovered. I don't know if you remember, the Higgs boson God particle was discovered. Uh, one physicist, Lawrence Krauss, said this. It should come up on the screen because it's a bit wordy. Humans, with their remarkable tools and their remarkable dra- brains, may have just taken a giant step towards replacing metaphysical speculation... With empirically verifiable knowledge. The Higgs particle is now arguably more relevant than God. Now, he kind of smiled and cheered at his, as he said it. If you know Lawrence Krauss, he's been out in Australia uh, quite recently. He thought the God particle may well have proved that God is dead. We don't need God anymore. Now, most physicists would say, well, it's just proved a theory we've had for quite some time now. Uh, It's excellent that we know that our theory is right, but that's about as far as they'd go. Uh, Lawrence Krauss went a little bit further. I want to ask you, whose life changed on the 4th of July 2012? Anyone's? No? Now, that could be because when scientific breakthroughs happen, it takes a while, doesn't it, to follow through to technology and breakthroughs. But actually, let me humbly suggest, and I know Lawrence Krauss is a smart man, but he's overstated his case just a little, hasn't he? Now what what answer does the God particle have for why are we here? Oh little God particle. Why is there so much pain in the world? Little particle, why do I love this person so much and they cause me so much pain? Little particle, why is work so hard one day and so joyful the next? Little particle, Where will we all be in a thousand years? What should I do with my life? I mean, Lawrence Krauss, he's intelligent, but isn't all the metaphysical speculation that he labels actually the interesting stuff of life? Don't we care about that stuff? Up here in kind of messy, macro land, doesn't it matter who you love, what you do, what the point of your life is? Down in sterile physics land, particle land, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But today in Luke 10, I hope you saw it there as we read it, Jesus has a better answer than science, a better answer than the, the, the Higgins particle. He answers the question, how can you actually know God? How can you know God? Why are you here? That flows from it. What is the purpose of your life? It flows from that question. How can you know God? So it's important we listen to this. Just four short verses, but very important ones. So in your outline, we're up to the first heading there, Rejoice in Your Salvation. Uh, If you've got it there with you and you've got your Bible, open up to those verses. Uh, Last week, if you remember, or if you were here, uh, you remember that uh, we were to rejoice in salvation. That's what Jesus said, verse 20, Rejoice in Your Salvation. To see people saved while there's still time before judgment, rejoice in that. Rejoice in this mission that you've just been on. But don't hold on to the things that you've done as you've hastened the coming kingdom, no, hold on to the salvation that is secure in Jesus. Hold on to that. Now Jesus, well, he's full of joy at the end of the mission. If you can imagine the situation, the 70 have come back, they're rejoicing, he's full of joy, he's reminded them of why they should be joyful. And then he says, uh, in that same hour, verse 21, so we're carrying straight on from this situation, Jesus puts his own advice into practice. So if you look there, Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Now imagine Jesus sort of sitting back amongst the disciples, feeling their joy, enjoying it with them, and reflecting himself on the joy that he has. And we have this beautiful moment of God, our Trinity God. We have it there in this verse. God, three in one. The Son here, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit, and he says to the Father, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth. And here we get to see something incredible. We get to see into the mind of God. Now, I don't think you can see into the mind of anyone, can you? You can't see what the person next to you is thinking. You can't hear it. You don't know what's going on. Uh, it only happens in like the X-Men and things like that, but you can actually look into people's minds. We don't know the mind of a person next to us. Here we get to see into the mind of God. And we get to see it for a reason. We've been invited in here. We get to see how God actually is within himself. It's a wonderful picture we get to see here. We see how fundamentally other person-centred our God is. Within the Trinity, there's no power struggle going on. Can you imagine Jesus? He's getting all this glory for the mission. And he could say, yes, thank you. It was all me. That was my mission. But he doesn't. He praises the Father. He turns in joy to the Father. He doesn't claim it for himself. See, our God is not like the Muslim God. Our God is not like Allah, to whom, well, he has his will. And that's the end of the story. Our God, he's fundamentally other person-centered. He's loving within himself. His love, well, it overflows really to us, doesn't it? Our God is different. And we see this little picture here. It's a beautiful picture. So what does Jesus praise his father for? Carries on from this mission. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you've revealed them to infants. Now, what are these hidden things? What's he talking about? He's talking about the harvest that we just saw. He's talking about the salvation plan of God, the plan to restore all things. He's talking about calling people to himself. He's talking about the harvest before judgment comes. And he says, it's been hidden from the learned, it's been hidden from the wise, but it's revealed to infants. Now that's a little strange, isn't it? Why to the infants? Uh, At this point, Lawrence Krauss is probably cheering. See, God hates wisdom. He's scared by it. He's scared of knowledge. He's running scared in the age of science. But of course he's not. God doesn't run scared from science. God, the creator of knowledge, the creator of wisdom, God, the one who created the Higgs particle, He's not scared, he loves it, he loves knowledge and wisdom but he's talking here about the wise and the intelligent in their own minds, isn't he? He's talking about the wise people with no humility, he's talking about the intelligent people that just turn arrogant. Those people so impressed with themselves, they can't see the mind of God here but who can? The infants, the babes and we'll get onto them in a second. I think Jesus has in mind, particularly his society, he's looking around. Here's a Roman society influenced by Greek culture. You know, they know their Pythagoras theorem. They know their Socrates, their Plato. They're smart. That culture's around. But even more particularly, he's thinking about those Pharisees, those Sadducees, the wise, the learned. They know their Old Testaments. They can recite their Old Testaments. Gee, they know the laws, but they're not living them out. These are the guys that follow Jesus around to trap him. The guys that follow him around to have him killed. Jesus pins them down. These guys are not serving God with their whole hearts. And so he praises God. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God doesn't give the kingdom to those people? And it is, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing that it's not down to your knowledge. But instead it's to the, the Father reveals these truths to infants. Now, of course, he's not talking about little cute babies wandering around the room. He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the seventy, these people that were on mission. He's talking about the women that followed him around. He's talking about fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies. These little people who put their trust in Jesus. Little people who throw their lot in and follow him. Little people who look like fools, really. But it's them who gets access to God. It's quite incredible. Jesus praises God for that and it's praiseworthy, isn't it? Imagine if it did come down to being smart enough for for the kingdom of heaven. Who'd make it? What would be the pass mark for heaven? I'd hate that. We'd all hate that. You may not get in, but this isn't God's plan. Intelligence that leads to arrogance, that's not God's plan. God-honoring faith, thankfulness, trusting Jesus, that's God's plan. Now Lawrence Krauss, uh, he's got a whole bunch of mates, Uh, you might have heard of them, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, a lot of those guys. Uh, A lot of people have noticed as these guys go around, very smart guys, that there is some arrogance in the way they speak. Now uh, Christians have noticed it because we watch it and see it on Q&A and things like that. But it's not just that world, Uh, if if you're interested, watch the YouTube debates between the atheist philosophers and the atheist scientists. That's way worse. There's no prisoners held in those battles. Dawkins, well, in in one of his books, he argues uh, that you cannot be a believer in God and a scientist. It's mutually exclusive. There is no common middle ground at all. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? When we think back over history, we think of people like Newton, and we think of people like Galileo and Kepler and Babbage and all these people in science who actually did find a place for God and to believe uh, and to follow science. Uh, there was this fascinating study done. I, I was having a look at it during uh, the week I prepared this. James Luber in 1916, he surveyed American scientists. He found out uh, that 40% of them believe in a personal God, 40% don't and, and 20% are undecided. Now they redid this survey without James Luber who well and truly passed on in 1997 And they surveyed the same group of people in the same society, not the exact same people, obviously. They'd passed on as well, but the results, surprisingly, are exactly the same. 40% of American scientists believe in God, 40% don't, 20% unsure. As much as we try and draw these artificial lines, there's actually no war between science and religion. It's sort of a war between personality and, and dogmatism. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that Something that many have noticed before, you can only know God by what he reveals to you. You can only know of God what he reveals to you. Uh, Modern philosophers say the same thing. You can't know outside the universe by looking inside the universe. Uh, My favourite philosophy show is The Matrix. I don't know if you've ever seen this. But on The Matrix, you can't know outside the system without help. So in comes Morpheus, in comes Trinity to help out. It's true, you can't know outside the system unless it's revealed to you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. As Christians, we are completely dependent upon Jesus. Completely dependent upon him revealing himself to us. Uh, We forget that sometimes, don't we? Do you forget that? When you talk to your friends, when when you talk to them about Jesus, do you sometimes fall into that trap of thinking you can argue them into being a Christian? Have you ever done that? If you can just present Jesus in the right way, they'll definitely become a Christian. It's a bit of a trap, actually, because Jesus must reveal himself to your friends. Uh, What happens if you try and arm wrestle someone into being a Christian and they don't become one? You have to conclude they're not smart enough to understand the gospel, or you're not clear enough to explain the gospel, which is a bad way of thinking about things. Uh, if you are sharing the gospel with someone or if you're someone here that's checking out christianity can i uh, encourage you it's not just about understanding facts it's actually about getting to know someone getting to know jesus meeting him uh, hours of persuasion and arguing they can be good but actually you need to be invited to follow jesus you need to meet him you need to uh, pull out your luke's gospel i've caught, I kept mine in my pocket pull out your luke's gospel and share the message of Jesus with someone else for them to hear about him so that he can share himself with them. Uh, Hours of arguing, it's not going to work. It's kind of like telling a child they're dirty and then saying, there's no bath. You can't do that. You need to go that next step and invite them to follow him. So where does this knowledge of God come from? Uh, That's the key question, really. Verse 22, Jesus says, it's revealed. You have a look at it again there. Verse 22, all things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. See, Jesus has been given everything, all knowledge. Jesus has been given insight into everything from the Father. Uh, Jesus fully knows the Father. He fully understands his plans. They're completely, if you like, in cahoots with each other, which would not help us one little bit at all, except for the fact that Jesus came to us. He walked the earth, didn't he? He walked the earth for 33 years and suddenly humanity got a chance to see God. Now, if there are scientists alive back at those times, I reckon joining with the Pharisees and Sadducees, they would have tried to pin him down, examine him, brute force him, get to the mind of God by sort of plugging in probes or something. But it never would have worked. You cannot know God unless he reveals himself to you. Who gets to know God? Well, it says here, verse 20, 22, the Son and anyone who the Son reveals him to. See, Jesus is the gatekeeper. Jesus is the only way. In all of history, he is the only way to know God. And that's actually humbling. It's incredibly humbling. Because do you want to know God? Well, you have to come to Jesus. That's the way. The only way. Uh, You can look at the stars, you can look at the universe, you can say, wow, maybe there is a God, maybe this order means something. You can try that. But really, without Jesus, Krauss is right. This is kind of metaphysical speculation. You look and you wonder. With Jesus, it becomes clear. And this applies to everything. It applies to every religion, every philosophy. The only way is through Jesus. He's the one that can reveal the Father. And so it actually turns out, I don't know if you thought about this, that that being a Christian is not a scientific exercise. You have to have him revealed to you. It's about relationship with him, getting to know him. It's about him revealing himself to you. It's like any relationship in some ways. If you want to get to know me, well, we need to have some sort of relationship. Uh, By looking at me, you probably think, suave, sophisticated... (laughs) Am I right? On track somewhere along there? Wise, grey hair, distinguished, must be. It turns out, actually, I reckon I'm one of the most boringly mainstream people, well, anywhere, actually. I'd rather watch TV than read a book. It's true, ask my wife. I'd rather have pizza than a fancy dinner out. Again, ask my wife. I'd rather sport than a show. I'd rather classic rock than just about anything, really. If it's interesting to be hip and alternative, I'm not. I'm the opposite. And so me revealing this to you is actually risking my friendship with all of you because I'm so boring. But you needed me to reveal that to you. I had to get that off my chest so that you would know me a little better. To know God, Jesus reveals himself to you. How does he do it? Through the word. He speaks to you in the word. Now, if you've never met Jesus, then my challenge is take a hold of something like this, a Bible, one of these books and meet Jesus. That's my challenge. It takes 90 minutes to read this if you're going fairly slow. You can do that. You could watch Facebook, you can be on Facebook for 90 minutes and time just vanishes. You can do something useful and read Luke's gospel for 90 minutes. If you have met Jesus as well though, do you actually believe what he says? Do you believe what he says in there? Do you pick this up and say, I want to hear what Jesus has got to say to me? I want him to reveal the things of God, his plans and purposes to me. I met this guy once, his whole evangelistic strategy, the way he shared Jesus with his friends, was to pull out a little book out of his back pocket and just say, have you met Jesus? And if they said no, he'd say, well, let him speak for himself. And he'd just give him a book and that would be that. He did it all around the inner city and years later, people were still coming up to him saying, thank you so much, I met Jesus, I read the book. It's a great strategy, Uh, you could try that one. If you believe Jesus is the only way to God, you need to get that into your hands, don't you? You need to read it. Let's move on to the next uh, verses, verse 23 and 24. This is the privilege of discipleship here. So Jesus turns to his disciples. We've already had one intimate conversation we had no right to enter into except we were given a look into it. Now we have another one. Verse 23, to the disciples, Jesus says, the eyes that sees the things you see are blessed. Now what a blessing it is when Jesus opens your eyes and you go on mission for him like they did and they saw his plans and purposes. They saw about the harvest that was coming, the kingdom of God coming near. And verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, yet didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, yet didn't hear them. See, what a privilege it is. Humanity itself has been longing to know God. True prophets have spoken true words of God, but they haven't known the full uh, full plans of him. Great kings like David and Solomon, working for God, loving God, serving God. They haven't seen the full picture. Bad kings uh, in the Old Testament. Balak, that guy that tried to manipulate God through a prophet, the prophet Balaam. Nebuchadnezzar that evil king of the Babylonian Empire, they met God as well. But they didn't know what God was all about. They longed to know what he was into. They couldn't see it. God's plans remained a mystery until Jesus revealed them. And this little ragtag crew of people following Jesus along got the secrets of eternal life. I don't know if you've reflected on your own privilege, but if you follow Jesus, isn't it a privilege? Do you ever think about that? It's a privilege to have that joy in knowing him, to have a certainty in salvation, to know of what God's plans and purposes are for this world, to have access to that, to his word. It's a privilege and it's a privilege that sometimes I wonder if we forget about it. Uh, I've seen lots of people who haven't forgot about it, people in our own church who struggled through life, whose issues have been big and yet in all Christian grace, in all love of God, in all hope, they have trusted God through everything. And when you see that, you think, wow, isn't that wonderful? There's a person that understands how much Jesus has done for them. But if we're honest, aren't there times when we're sort of entitled Christians? Uh, To use entitled. Uh, I don't want to pick on Gen Y, so I'm not going to call you entitled like everyone else does. But it's not meant to be a kind thing to say, is it? to say you're entitled. Are we entitled Christians? Do we take for granted what we have? I don't know if you think about your salvation, but do you deserve it? Do you think you deserve the benefits of church and fellowship and knowing God's plans? Or do you come along to church kind of begrudging the experience as something you have to do? Is it a joy, a privilege to be a disciple for you? Or you kind of have a distaste for other Christians and their issues and their complications? Do you constantly feel as a Christian that you're missing out on something, that that you don't have the whole picture? Or do you realize and cultivate the contentment that comes in knowing God through Jesus? So Jesus considers it a great privilege to be a Christian. And I hope you see that privilege. I hope you see it as a privilege, as a blessing. It's true that those guys saw things that we didn't get to see and wouldn't you love to see somebody who's in a wheelchair get up and walk? Jesus could come and do that for one of my friends, I would love that. Wouldn't you love to see Jesus walk on water? And I'd like to see me walk on water, it'd be awesome. We haven't seen those things but we have seen amazing things. We have seen, well we've seen the rise of the church. Explain that. Millions of Christians have come over, over hundreds of years. We've seen history transform. We've seen people give up their life so that others might hear about Jesus. We've seen extraordinary things happen. And how did it happen? It happened when God spoke through Jesus. The message rang out through history and people turned to Jesus. It's right that we listen to Jesus, isn't it? It's what we're supposed to do. The eyes that see the things you see are blessed, he said to his disciples. I hope you see Jesus fresh. If you don't, go back again. I've loved this term, reading the Bible with a whole bunch of people, some of them for the first time, to be honest, who have read through Luke's Gospel and really thought about it. Looking at Jesus afresh has been a wonderful experience and being reminded of all the great things that you've been given. And I get to spend a lot of time with Christians, and I love that, but so often, as I say, how are you going as a Christian? How's your life going? Uh, and they say, Oh, actually, it's, it's a bit tough. If I then ask them, well, how are you going at listening to Jesus? The excuse, excuses come. Uh, I don't know if you've said these. I've been busy. It's boring. I prefer to just to pray. I kind of know it all. I've read it all before. Maybe you've made these excuses before. But I'm sorry, isn't this turning off your relationship with Jesus? Isn't this just saying, I don't want to listen to you, God, anymore. I'm going to go like this. La, la, la. It's crazy, isn't it? That's choking the word of God out. We've been blessed to, given a vision, uh, be, to be given the vision of God through Jesus. So let's go back to him again, I say. If you need to, pray for his help. Pray for a time to sit down and read the Bible, pray for friends who care to read it with you. Maybe try reading this and then go straight on to Acts. If you can't read this and Acts and get excited, I don't know what's wrong with you. Or read Hebrews. What a wonderful read to see the faithful Christians uh, throughout history, uh, faithful servants of God throughout history. Sometimes it's the simple answers that actually are the answers we need to hear. And we're reminded again today, Jesus reveals himself. So listen to him. Well, now, this God particle, we started with that, this announcement in 2012. It was a human discovery that many have hoped would change uh, the course of metaphysical thinking forevermore. But I hope you can see tonight, ultimate meaning and purpose, it's not found by examining creation. It's found when Jesus reveals himself to you. It's not found through science and scientific endeavour. It's found through jesus word now ironically of course many people throughout history have actually been christians and scientists at the same time and they've made wonderful discoveries exactly because of that Uh, the famous physicist maxwell who i really like because he's behind maxwell's equations which are mathematically beautiful yes i'm a math nerd not a physics nerd einstein thought of maxwell as the greatest scientist since newton but he was an evangelical Presbyterian. And this is what he made sure was written above the most famous physics laboratory in the world. Uh, When it was rebuilt, the Cavendish in Cambridge, above the door as you go in there, and everyone has to read this as they go in, the works of the Lord are great, sought out by those who have pleasure in them. So Maxwell rejoiced that God had revealed himself to him. Maxwell rejoiced that Jesus Christ is the foundation of knowledge of God, and then scientific endeavour underneath that. So let me conclude, the day the world changed was the day that Jesus entered into the world, wasn't it? It was the day that Jesus came with joy to reveal himself to us. And it's a wonderful blessing to know and love him. I hope you love love the Lord. I hope you trust him. I hope it's a joy for you. And I pray we'll never get tired of going back to this, reading his word, putting your trust in him, finding joy in it, living it out, sharing it with others. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you've revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus and we pray that we might listen to him. We pray that we might rejoice at his words and at his purposes, at his salvation one for us. And we pray that others might hear it, that they too might know and rejoice in the wonderful things that you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.